I'm Janine. You're listening to Get the Funk Out right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And standing by for the next segment is Laura Huang. She's a Harvard Business School professor, and she's sharing how to find her personal, excuse me, how to find our personal edge by turning adversity into advantage in her new book, Edge, Turning Adversity into Advantage. Here she is. Good morning. Morning. Thank you so much for calling in. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. Appreciate it. How did you come up with the idea for this book? You know, I have been studying for the, more than a decade um, inequality, disadvantage, people who are underestimated, and was doing a lot of research in that area. And I kept getting asked the question, you know, what do we do about this, right? Mm-hmm. Are there strategies and tactics that we can take to um, level the playing field? And at the same time, all I, all I was finding was sort of these negative impacts of, um, of, of the findings and not a lot of practical solutions. And so that's kind of how the book was, was born, was that I understood that people were getting frustrated. Um, and a lot of times we were hearing this message that success is about hard work and that hard work will speak for itself and to just keep putting in the hard work. But at the same time, people were doing that and putting in the effort and hard work, but feeling really frustrated because the outcomes were going to, to other people. And I kind of knew, and in my research, I knew that, you know, so much of outcomes, so many of the outcomes and success are determined not by just the hard work, but mm-hmm. also signals and perceptions and stereotypes of others. And so this book is about how to flip those obstacles and stereotypes in our favor so that we can find and create our own edge. I like that. And you talk about grit and a growth mindset. Could you talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, I think it's critical that we we understand that failure is going to be inevitable and that there's going to be drawdowns and that there's going to be disappointments. And so part of it is about um, having, having that grit. But mm-hmm. it's not enough, right? It needs right. to be hard work plus. Yeah. And that plus needs to be knowing that even as we put in that hard work and even as we try and be tenacious and have that grit, that we should, we also need to be um, knowing how others see us so that we can redirect them to how we sh- they should be seeing us. Right. One of the reasons I wanted you on the show is because I felt like you were very in line with my met- message. The show is called Get the Funk Out. And we, go yeah. through, you know, we go through personal and professional upheavals and how resilient uh, and determined in the choices we make affect everything. The resilience piece is so important, right? I talk right. a lot about one of the ways that we do, rec- like one of the ways we do figure out how other people see us and figure out what our real strengths are is through that resilience. That we take that failure, we, you know, how many of us, we've all had these situations where we felt like we've been wronged by somebody else, or we have these right. situations where we still, it still bugs us, or it still nags at us. I ask my students, you know, think about a time when, you know, you still feel uncomfortable, or, or, or you feel like you have a chip on your shoulder, and within 10 seconds, people can think about something from years ago or decades ago that yes. still bother them. Yeah. And so it's, I write about, you know, this bitterness and, and how it often leaves us, feel, leaves us feeling bitter and jaded. Mm-hmm. And how do we think about, does this make us bitter or does this make us better? Yes. And in any situation where we're feeling that bitterness, asking ourselves, how can we let this, how, how does this make us better and not bitter? That's true. And, but it's so easy to become bitter because when people, you know, throw their judgments at you, we, we have this quick response and we shift into these patterns. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, people are going to perceive, they're going to be making judgments and perceptions about you, regardless of whether or not you show them who you authentically are and help guide them to how others view you. You know, people are trying to write your story. They meet you and they're trying to already make assumptions about who you are and where you've been and where you're going. And so it's so important to guide that process and to stop and redirect them so that you're not passively letting them do this, that you're writing your own narrative and knowing how others see you so you can redirect them to how they should see you is so critical. So that's a big piece of this. And that's a big piece of how you do flip these stereotypes to work in your favor. I like the book a lot in that it also taps into, I feel like different age groups and you give some good real life examples. Do you want to talk about a couple? Yeah, sure. I mean, what I what I say in the book is that everybody has something, mm-hmm. right? We talk a lot about the traditional cast of characters and the disadvantages that are imposed on people because of gender, race, ethnicity, class, religion, sexual orientation, and those absolutely do happen. Yes. Um, but everyone has something, and there's, everyone has these perceptions that are made about them. And so what's important to understand what are those perceptions that are being made about me. So, for example, I talk about um, women, um, women entrepreneurs who right. um, are more likely to get asked questions that are around risk and mm. co- competition, whereas male entrepreneurs are more likely to get asked questions around the opportunity and how big you could take this, right? And so when wow. women are getting asked questions about risk and mm-hmm. the, draw da- the drawbacks of something, what are called prevention-focused questions, they're more likely to then respond in turn with a prevention-oriented response, things around, you know, around the competitors. Yes. Instead, when you can stop and redirect, you can say you recognize that you're getting asked a prevention-oriented question, mm-hmm. but then you answer by saying something like, yep, we do have a lot of competitors in this space, um, but our product is able to do X, Y, and Z, and that allows us to have opportunities in these other markets and these other opportunities, and you turn that around to be something that's much more about the opportunity. I find that those yes. women are able to level the playing field, if not more. They're able to get just as much funding, if not more, for their ventures. That's such an important lesson. Yeah, and it, it, it applies uh, in terms of lots of different perceptions that people have about us, about how yeah. warm we are, or how communal, or how interpersonally influential we are, or how much of a team player we are. And we, you know, these, these perceptions are being made based on things like our gender, our, our ethnicity, our race. Um, and so I talk a lot in the book about how we hone our ability to see how others perceive us so that we can then um, guide those perceptions. Yeah, and not get defensive. Yeah, that, you know, that's the piece that's really important as well, is that we do this in a really benign way, mm-hmm. right? You don't go into a situation and say, I know it's because I'm a woman that you think <laughs> right. X, Y, and yes. Z, right? right? But instead, you re- you recognize, um, you know, and a, a perfect example of this also is that um, some of the research that I've done around ageism and, and people's people who are older and in, in old, you know, older employees in organizations. And, you know, you don't go into a situation, you say, I know it's because I'm older that you think yes. X, Y, and Z. But instead, you recognize that there's certain perceptions and you get to that underlying perception, which I found is that if you're an older person in the workforce, it's not necessarily things that we think like, oh, that you're not good at technology or that whatever. It's actually about curiosity. 
that they assume that you're not as curious about learning that new technology or learning a new strategy or or working with the company as it evolves. Yes. And so when you go into a situation, you say, for example, I'm really curious about the origins of this vision, or I'm really curious about how this team has thought about X, Y, and Z. You're then addressing in a really benign way those exact negative perceptions that they had about you. And so then you flip that, and they, they still see the strengths that you had, but now those alleged weaknesses are now underestimated strengths. Yeah. That, that's great because a lot of people do go in feeling, you know, older, like they're not equipped for the job. What are people going to think? You know, and that's, that's great. Great advice. What else would you like uh, readers, excuse me, listeners to know about the book? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh, I hope they're listeners and they're readers. But um, yeah, so I think what one of the things that I um, also, you know, that people have sort of have asked about is that like, you know, this, it almost feels sometimes to people that this is like an impression management type of thing or like it's strategic or it's almost manipulative, right? That, mm-hmm. that there's other people who we see kissing up to the boss or catering to other people. And it's like, we don't want to be doing that. Right. And right. what I want to, what I, what I emphasize a lot in the book is that this is actually the opposite of this. This is different from just catering or managing impressions because the first step is really understanding how you enrich and provide value. And a lot of times we don't even have the opportunity to show how we provide value because we don't belong to the right groups or the right networks. And so when you are able to find and create your own edge, this is actually the opposite of being strategic because you are guiding them to who you authentically are. Mm -hmm. And so this is really a perspective on how we can take imperfect structures and, and an imperfect sort of culture where we know that things are not meritocratic. Yes. But things are not changing as quickly, or maybe they're changing, but they're not changing in the ways that we intend them to, how we can empower ourselves from the inside Mm -hmm. to still work and operate within an imperfect system to find and create our own edge. By the way, I want to remember to ask this. You give an example how patients can help guide patient-physician interactions to take control of their own health outcomes. That's really important. Could you talk about that briefly? Yeah. I mean, most of my, a lot of my research looks at um, you know, being people who are underestimated and disadvantages that happen in business, in the mm-hmm. workplace, and in life. But one of the contexts in which I looked at this, which, which became really salient to me, was in healthcare and in the treatment and how we are, how, you know, we, we interact with those healthcare providers. It was a context where I was expecting to find no disadvantage at all. I was looking at emergency rooms and people who are suffering from heart attacks. And I was expecting, I wanted to finally find a context in which the only job of the physician is to save that person's life. And so there should be no difference based on gender or race uh, when you're having a heart attack, especially if we control for like prior disease states and health and all those sorts of things. But in fact, I found that there was differences in who survives heart attacks. That, that in certain instances, women were less likely to survive heart attacks, people of color, that there was, um, there were things based on communication and signals and perceptions. And so it's so important to be able to understand this in a variety of different contexts. 
that you change the industry or you change the people you're interacting with or you change the composition of the team and that how you're being perceived is going to also change. And so that's why it's so important to continue to understand who you are, your strengths, um, and also how you guide others' views of you. At what point in your life did you decide this was the direction you wanted to take with your writing and, and becoming a professor at Harvard Business School? You know, I still, I mean, I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. That's good. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, this is something that I had experienced all throughout my life, but didn't always know how to articulate it, that I had, I would have these experiences and I would feel like something wouldn't quite sit right. Yeah. Or I would be sort of frustrated and I didn't quite know how to understand it. Um, and it was only as I started studying more and more around disadvantage and people who are underestimated, they sort of understood that, um, you know, that there are different ways to kind of approach this, but that we can empower ourselves, that we can flip things in our favor, that we don't have to just sit there and be okay with obstacles and constraints and stereotypes, that we can actually do something about it. And so the book is lots of stories about ordinary, everyday people like me that have had to experience this. I have, you know, some stories about well-known people, um, but I didn't, but, but overwhelmingly the majority are stories of, because not that those people haven't experienced adversity and barriers, those super famous, well-known people, but I wanted to um, share how everyday people have had to deal with adversity and how they've had to um, try and, you know, either compensate or understand and and how they've come out on the other side of that. Sure, because of stereotypes or shortcomings and things like that. Absolutely. So I just want to mention a little bit more about you to the listeners. You're an associate professor at Harvard Business School. You were named one of the 40 best business school professors under the age of 40 by poets and, is it Quants? Poets Poets and Quants. Quants, excuse me. Previously, she was an assistant professor at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, And your research has been featured in the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and so many others. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, so my website is laurahuang.net, and I'm also all over social. So laurahuangla for Instagram, Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I also should say that my PhD was from UC Irvine. So, oh, um, very cool. You know, wow. yeah, yeah. So I, um, so so yeah. So please do, um, please do do come find me and and engage. And I'd love to hear your own stories about how you've found and created your own edge. And so right now you're based out of Boston. I am. Okay. Yeah, I lived in Brookline, um, but I've been here a while. And oh, that's so great. So you graduated a while ago? A long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> still very young. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, let, me, let me spell your last name uh, for your website. It's Laura, H-U-A-N-G dot net. And uh, it was great having you on the show. I put all your info on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And our conversation will be up within an hour. Thank you, and I love the title of your show, by the way. I have always loved it, so Aww. it's a pleasure being Thank on Thank you. Your- <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Congratulations. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. That was Laura Huang calling in. Again, all her info is on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. 
Uh, so I thought we would listen to a little music um, because uh, I was going to schedule another guest, but we had a little conflict. I do want to mention coming up at 11, I'm doing a pre-record with Leif Garrett. Uh, his info about his latest book is on the show blog already, and his book is called Idle Truth, a memoir. And I've collected a whole bunch of questions from people uh, who wanted to ask some things to Leif. I'll be um, answering them doing this pre-record, and then I'll have this airing next Monday, I believe 9.30, but I will post it. Again, Leif, Leif, Leif Garrett is going to be featured uh, on next week's show with his new book. Okay, so let's see. Uh, we were listening to Jeff Buckley a little while ago, so let's go back to uh, Jeff Buckley. I really loved his, I still love his music. It's so sad he passed away years ago. We'll listen to Last Goodbye. Um, again, this is Jeff Buckley. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. <laughs> 